Hey everybody, welcome to the RUF Old Miss podcast. Uh, this is Les Newsom, and uh, look, this uh, just last night we were able to start our spring 2010 uh, series through the Book of Romans at RUF last night. It was a great kickoff, and I figured what better way to start the semester than to mess up the audio on the sermon. So once again, we're here at our little. Um, office on campus, and we thought we'd run through the Roman series here. So our scripture reading comes from Romans 1, 1 through 17. This is God's word for us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may know and I now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hey, look, I want you to imagine that you wake up uh, tomorrow morning and you check your campus email. And the first thing that you see in your email is that the chancellor of our university here has sent out a campus-wide email, the subject line of which reads, A Solution to the Parking Problem at Old Miss. Okay. Now, as a commuter uh, who regularly has to walk great distances to find adequate parking, you read through the email with great interest. Uh, but after the first couple of sentences, suddenly your jaw drops open, uh, your eyes wide, and, and, and you suddenly start to whisper things like, you have got to be kidding me. You see, Dr. Jones's solution to the parking problem at Old Miss is as follows. He has obtained adequate funding to build a multi-level parking garage located in the very center of campus in the Grove. Yep, the Grove is going to be torn down to make way for a beautiful (laughs) red and blue concrete painted edifice that will hold as many cars as we can recruit freshmen. Okay, now set aside for a moment your initial revulsion and fast forward to 20 minutes later. You're late to class. You're walking across the grove and you see a friend from your next class who decides to walk with you. And before you can say anything, they sort of blurt out, you know, I have never been less motivated to start a semester in all my life. 
And you look at him, you say, hmm, yeah, okay, uh, but did you get that campus-wide email that Chancellor Jones sent out this morning? And before you, they can, you can re- give more information, they say, oh, for crying out loud, I am so bored with endless campus politics at this place. You know, I don't even have the energy to even talk about it. Okay, now freeze that scene in your mind. I want you to think for just a second how you're making sense of that very conversation. First of all, you know that no matter whether you're happy for the news about the parking lot or whether you're horrified by the potential loss of the Grove, by the end of that day, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone, I I would dare say in the entire state of Mississippi, who didn't have an opinion one way or the other about this news. It's just that big. But secondly, I want you to notice what's going on with your friend. You see, there's a couple of options here. Option number one, which seems obvious, is that they simply have not heard. I mean, news like that, something that cataclysmic, by its nature, calls for some response. It's just too big. But see, what's interesting about your friend is, is that they think that they've heard everything that there is to hear about what's going on on campus. In other words, their boredom with uh, campus politics is the very thing that's keeping them from being willing to listen to the big news. It's interesting because in many ways their symptom is their disease. You know, they're bored because they haven't heard the big news, but they don't want to listen to any big news because they're so bored with politics. Look, if you can have some kind of emotional appreciation for that scenario, then I think that you can get at least close to the heart of what Paul is after in his wanting to get the message of the book of Romans across. And I think it's also a window into seeing what I think is going on spiritually in this campus. Hey, look, I have been at the, at the University of Mississippi for way too long to condescend to the people here. After 11 years, um, I, I'm as much, I'm as much um, involved in the religious and spiritual movements of this campus as anybody who's a student here. And so this is an us thing. But I've been taking a little bit of a non-scientific survey for the last 11 years. And I feel like I've discovered that Christianity has sort of risen to the level of being like a... Um, it's basically like the J.D. Williams Library, located right across the quad from Parish H. Chapel where we meet. Um, think about the library for a second. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, but really only because it takes up so much space on campus. I mean, you're glad that it's there. It certainly helps in a pinch. But, but you only visit the library when it's absolutely necessary, right? And when you're there, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself, but it doesn't take all that much distraction to make you hit the door for infinitely more interesting daily fare. Over the holidays, I was introduced to a great vocabulary word, one that I wasn't exactly sure what the definition was, but it's the word banality. Do you know what it is when someone describes the word banal? Webster says banal means drearily commonplace, often predictable, even trite. And what I think has happened is, is that Christianity on our campus has become banal. It's everywhere. It's always there. It helps in a pinch. We're glad that it's there when we're involved in it. But for some reason, it fails to move us beyond the level of, at best, usefulness, or at worst, uh, um, a mundane distraction. Now look, I want to discuss this semester what I believe are the causes of this stance for Christianity. But by way of introduction in this first lesson, I simply want you to note that one of the more prominent features of Christianity, at least the people that you get in Scripture, 
is the inability of people to take it lightly the further that they dive into it. You know, over the holidays, I had a chance to watch a show that was produced, a kind of a one-person stage uh, monologue play uh, put on by Julia Sweeney. Julia Sweeney was the um, uh, former SNL cast member who did the, she did the, the, the Pat sketches, you know, the person who didn't know whether they were a man or a woman, that whole gag. Anyway, Julia Sweeney's apparently had a dramatic last 10 years, and she wrote a book and did this stage show called Letting Go of God. And it's a story that chronicles her departure from the Roman Catholicism that she grew up with to a brand new, newfound atheism. Now, look, I learned a lot from that show, a whole lot of things. But, you know, one of the things that I found myself really appreciating about Sweeney's uh, very no-nonsense approach to her monologue was how she looked at the text of the Bible. Because as she goes through some of her objections and why she came to basically discard her belief in Christianity or God in general, is because of the fact of how much there is in the Bible that is offensive to the modern mind and ought to be offensive to all of us. I I would simply suggest to you that the Bible's message, the more you dive into it, is going to push you into drastic extremes that for whatever you'll say about them, don't fit into comfortable categories of life. So that the only explanation for someone who has treaded lightly on Christianity's message would be those who simply have missed it. Okay, look, put yourself back in the grove with your friend. You know, at one point in the conversation, you breathlessly blurt out to them, look, you, you have got to hear this. They're going to tear down the grove and put up a parking garage. Now, I submit that your friend would look at you and say, whoa, 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 they're, they're going to do, what, what did you say? Okay, look, look, stop. Start over from the beginning. Hey, look, that is exactly what we're going to do this semester. I want to submit to you that Christianity is only as banal as our avoidance of it allows us to be. And the second, though, that you get curious, when you start to go back to the first things of the Christian message, you're going to find that there are radically terrifying, radically transforming, but radically comforting things in that message. But one thing we can't do is to allow it to continue to be banal. And it just so happens that this is Paul's intention in the book of Romans. He's writing to a people that he's never met, and he only knows by reputation. And in this book, he gives us the very foundational structure of the teaching of the entire Bible. And he starts talking about it from the very introduction of the book in verses 1 through 17. Look, I can sum up what I want to talk about in one sentence. We're going to break it down into three parts of the sentence. Paul has big news, first of all, that he's not ashamed of, second of all, about how to get on God's good side, third of all. Big news that he's not ashamed of about how to get on on God's good side, Look, first of all, we find that there is big news in this message that Paul is bringing. And you know it because he keeps using this word that I hope that we get very familiar with in our study through Romans this semester. Y'all, it's the word gospel, and it's going to come up a lot, especially in this first chapter that we came to. And I know that there's all kinds of mental associations that uh, Southern Christians draw up when they hear the word gospel. But for a second, I want us to listen to what the word itself is translated as in the Bible. The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. 
you can break it down into a prefix and a root word. First of all, the prefix is you, from which we get the word, uh, which translated is good. <clears throat> you know, we have uh, eulogies that are delivered at the end of uh, funerals, which are a good word. <clears throat> it's also comprised of the word angelion, from which we get the word angel, which is the tr- basic translation for the word angel. Now, most of the time when we hear the word angel, we think of uh, flapping wings and, uh, you know, long white uh, robes and, I don't know, flaming swords or something like that. Uh, But for Paul, I want to submit to you that the word had a very different association. Because the word angel, literally translated, simply means a messenger uh, or a herald. And and that's not a generic form either. Um, There was a specific job that was done in ancient Near Eastern societies that was the job of a herald or a messenger. Now, I know that for us who have grown up in the Internet age, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But in order to get information around about great battles or great power shifts uh, in emperors, maybe great changes in civil life, during that time you had to rely upon these messengers, the angeloi, uh, people who simply brought news about something that had happened. You know, a number of years ago, I heard Tim Keller make a point that I've, I've never been able to let go of because it's so profound to me, and it gets more profound every time I think about it. And that is that it, one of the main distinctives of Christianity from all other world religions are, is suggested in this point. Because in every other religion, you find that they're preoccupied by what you are supposed to do in order to take part in it. You want to be a part of this religion? Here's an ascetic list of rules. You want to get a better life and a spiritual existence? Here's four easy steps to attain that. In other words, it tends to be focused on you. But Christianity, from the very outset, comes to us not as something that we're supposed to do, but simply news. It's a declaration of something that happened. Keller says that other religions are about giving you good advice about how to be fulfilled. Christianity is not advice, it's news. Now look, I want to talk a whole lot more about this this semester as we go on, but I simply want to submit that here we have plank one of the the banalizing, if you will, of Christianity on the Old Miss campus. You know, most of us have grown up, I would submit, relating to a form of Christian teaching that is primarily about us, about what we have to do, about how we are responsible for keeping the relationship between God and us healthy. Honestly, growing up, we probably heard good things, but how rarely did we hear good news? I know that was the case for me growing up. Now, look, there's so much more to be said about this, but I just want to challenge us with this thought. Is it possible that one of the reasons why we're simply sometimes just bored with Christianity, and I'm including myself in this, is due to the fact that it's constantly being presented to us as advice, and not news. So the first thing is, Paul comes and says, I've got big news. We call it a gospel. Second thing he says is, is that he's not ashamed. You know, everybody agrees that verses 16 and 17, and you can actually uh, mark it off in your Bibles, uh, verse 16 and 17. Everybody agrees that 16 and 17 is the theme of the entire book of Romans encapsulated into two verses. And he opens up by saying that he's not ashamed. Now, look, you wouldn't say that you weren't ashamed if there weren't a lot of other people who were actually quite ashamed of it. And I think we come now to a second plank that we have to explore before we de-banalize Christianity on this campus. And and, And it comes in this way. You'll know if you heard the real teaching of Paul's message if you're tempted to be ashamed of it. Don't get discouraged if you are ashamed of it. All it means is that you've likely gotten the right thing. 
Yeah, you're probably thinking, what in the world would I have to be ashamed of? I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of Christianity. I don't know. Look, the more you dig into the Christian message, I think that people at Old Miss are going to discover at least two things. Temptation number one to be ashamed is going to go a little bit like this. The gospel is going to dare this campus to embrace some very unflattering things about themselves. Look, and I'm wrapped up in as much as you are, but I've never been to a place that is as preoccupied with itself as Old Miss. We are unbelievably self-conscious people, working very hard to be seen with the right group, to maintain a healthy sense of social acceptability. But see, Romans is going to open up with really trying to get you to admit some things about yourself that are remarkably unflattering things. Look, y'all, i got to be honest with you. The first couple of lessons that we have to do in the book of Romans are tough messages to take. But I simply want to remind you that the, the very inertia of this campus is trying to pull us away from what Paul thinks is going to be a great freedom that comes from owning what you are really made of inside. Y'all, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a temptation for us to be ashamed. But I think there's a second thing. And that is the gospel is going to make it very hard for the quote-unquote successful people on this campus to swallow the liberality with which Christianity is going to accept those that you deem to be the unsuccessful. Did you catch that? Look, the gospel is going to have a way of drawing in people that you refer to right now as those people. The, the people that will honestly make you quite uncomfortable by their mere presence. Look, any psychiatrist will tell you that one of the reasons why addicts have such a hard time breaking their personal addictions is because the people that are closest to them won't let them change. Alcoholics Anonymous has noted for years that marriages often break up after one of the partners goes through treatment because they found that the non-alcoholic spouse had simply grown into an enabler of the alcoholic's behavior. It's actually AA that gave us that little term, enabler. In other words, they begin to be so used to being a rescuer of the other person's self-destructive behavior that they don't know how to let them change. Look, the gospel is going to come and offer hope, uh, every ounce of hope, to some people on campus that, quite honestly, we're not going to be happy about when we suddenly discover that they embraced it, that they've embraced it. Are we going to be the ones who suddenly are going to deny them that freedom because they're people that are outside of our normal contexts? Look, it's going to be a temptation. It's going to be a temptation for us to be ashamed. But I want you to take heart. Because if you, are, if you feel the temptation to be ashamed, it's likely that you've heard the real gospel in the process. Look, thirdly and finally, Paul says that um, he's got a great message a big, of big news that, he's not, that, he's, that, that we're going to be tempted to be ashamed of, but it's about getting on God's good side. Look, I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the sermon often ended on the last point, you know, it was kind of like, look, Paul was not ashamed, uh, good Christians aren't ashamed, I'm not ashamed, and you shouldn't be ashamed either. Okay, let's pray. Now, look, if that's the case, then the gospel is nothing more than a morality tale that would tell you all the time about how you measure up. But Paul has something so huge here, and I can only put, we can only put our big toe in it at this, on this first lesson. But look, verse 17, Paul packs a giant punch with this phrase. The righteousness of God is revealed. 
Now look at that very carefully. The first thing he says is the phrase, the righteousness of God. Y'all, that's a huge concept. Now, for most of us, when we first hear that concept, we tend to think, oh, okay, you're talking about the righteousness that God possesses. That is, the God's character trait of being righteous. He's righteous. We ought to be. Uh, let's go try to be better Christians. <laughs> no, that's actually not good news. That, that, that would be good advice. It actually was exactly what Martin Luther uh, struggled through when he was reading through the book of Romans. He kept reading through Romans and hearing this concept of the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And throughout his study of that book, he felt he was constantly reminded that that phrase was doing nothing more than telling him how much he was not measuring up. But look, the word there, righteousness, simply refers to being right with someone, uh, having a right relationship with them, or if you will, being on their good side. Look, think about it. You are right with your, let's say, cell phone company uh, when you have paid your bill fully. When you've removed all the debt of obligation between you and your cell phone company, you can be said to be, to be right with them. That's what the word righteousness is getting at. So in other words, the righteousness of God is talking about the quality of being right with God or, or stated simply being on his good side. Now, look, I really love that question. It's one that we talked about even last semester when we talked about the book of Leviticus. Do you tonight assume yourself to be in good relationship with God? Are you and God on the same page? (laughs) Are you working together or are you at cross purposes? Look, and if you believe yourself to be so, then why? Uh, Upon what basis do you make that, that, that judgment? And you've got to understand there's a lot of different answers that would come to that. There's some people that would say, well, I'm in good relationship with God because I'm a human being. (laughs) I'm his creature. He loves me. Duh, right? Some people might say, well, because look how much I've grown up with it. I grew up a Christian. My parents were Christians. I spent all my time in Christian uh, 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 background. Some people might look and say, of course I'm in good relationship with God. I believe he's revealed himself through other religions uh, other than Christianity. But of course I'm in good stead with him. In other words, it's not so much interesting to ask whether you're on God's good side, but what's interesting in what Paul says here is why you think you're on his good side. Because the instinct of our souls is to think that the rightness that exists between us and God is basically dependent upon my work. Maybe how long I've hung with that work. But I'll be honest with you. In my looking at my own struggle with boredom, with Christianity, to look at it as a sort of a a commonplace issue in my life. I'm exhausted by performance-driven work in my life. You ever thought about this? The more that I'm loaded down with just soulless obligation, the less interested I am in my work. Look, I'm not going to stick very long with work that seems like is totally on my shoulders to perform What Paul is saying, though, is that when he understood what the gospel really was, it began to transform him in a way that his pharisaical life before never could. Why? Because this rightness with God is revealed. He doesn't say, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is shown to be attainable through three simple, easy steps. He doesn't say that there's anything about a moral effort. What he says is, is that it's revealed. In other words, this righteousness is something that's going to come to us. Not something that's going to be generated 
in us. Look, my friends, if you don't see how that cuts across the very grain of southern, typical southern Christianity, you're not paying attention. How much of our own religious life is so preoccupied with what I'm doing, with how well I've measured up, We're so wrapped up in those. And I'm not saying those questions are unimportant. We're going to get to those later on the book of Romans. But I would argue that those questions are not meaningful at all unless you've gone through this point and discovered at some level just how much our rightness with God has got to be something that's on the basis of His effort and not ours. Look, my hope is, is at this point, you've got a ton of questions. My only request to you is that you stay curious The curiosity is good. Is it possible that there's a way of looking at our salvation in a way that would move beyond me thinking that it was just boring, that I was done with that? Is there something there that could excite me enough to move me past it? That's what we want to know this semester. And perhaps you're curious enough to stick with us through these lessons. You can consider that an invitation. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, would you then sort of put that in front of us? Grant us enough curiosity and enough potential joy in the message of this news that Paul has, that he's about to bust before he can can get it out. Would you give us enough interest in that for it to transform us as well? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.